Hey, everybody. Welcome to the You Were Born for This podcast with Father John Ricardo and Mary Guilfoyle. We are a couple of missionaries at Acts 29. And this is the podcast where we talk about anything and everything having to do with transformation in the church. Mary, happy Memorial Monday Day. after Pentecost. And happy Memorial Day oh. as well. Well, that shows where mine, my mind is. You are so patriotic and no. I'm lingering with the body of Christ. <laughs> no, you actually... You Shame have, on me. You have chosen the better part. You know, you know, we talk about everything about transformation in the church and that transformation is only made possible, right? Because of what we celebrated yesterday. Yeah, I mean, right? the Holy Spirit is the change agent, Amen. right? Absent the Holy yep. Spirit... Nothing Zippo happens. happens. <laughs> Zilch. Zero. Nada. Nada. Niente. Caput. <laughs> Whether that's my life or uh, your life or the church's life or Absolutely. our families or anything, right? Yeah. So our topic for today, Father John, is Father of the Poor. And so before we dive into that. Sounds like a movie with Steve Martin. <laughs> you think? <laughs> oh, that's Father of the Bride. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, How about we pray? <laughs> In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, gracious Father, we do thank you uh, in a special way, first and foremost today, for uh, all our brothers and sisters who have served in the military, especially those who so courageously, heroically, and charitably laid down their lives. Jesus told us that no greater love has a man or a woman than to lay down their life for their friend. And so we thank you for these heroes. We thank you also for those men and women who serve us now in the military. We ask that you would bless them, bless their families, especially bless those who are separated from families and uh, those who are in danger's path. Protect them, keep them safe, bring peace to this world, Lord, we ask. Help us to long for how it will be one day and to do everything we can to make it happen. Mindful of that as we continue to celebrate the great feast, the solemnity of Pentecost, we ask for a constant outpouring of your Holy Spirit upon us, upon each of us individually, upon our families, upon the church, our local churches and the universal church. Help us to continue by the power of the Spirit to be the men and women that you created us to be, that we desire to be to be the agents in this world that uh, Jesus has sent us out to be. And we ask it all in his most holy name. Amen. Amen. Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you, Father John. Yeah, you know, it's funny, as we, as we celebrate Pentecost, increasingly so over the last number of years, I just find it, you know, so we're, we're now out of the Easter season. We're back to ordinary time, which for those of us who never understood that expression. Ordinary time doesn't mean normal time. Like, oh, I guess like nothing's happening now. Ordinary comes from um, the Latin word um, ordinal, which just means those weeks of the year in the church that we count by number. That's what ordinary means. But I'm always struck by, you know, Easter's got an octave. Christmas has an octave, meaning it's celebrated for eight days. Pentecost is the event, right? It's, it's the moment that everything happens. It's the moment that the apostles and the disciples get transformed. They go out into the world. They start doing the mission that Jesus entrusted to them, which is more than evangelize. It includes evangelization, but it's more than that. You know, last week on Ascension Sunday, used to be Thursday, Jesus says, you know, teach them all 
everything mm -hmm. I have commanded you. And he commanded us about a lot of things, which is much wider than just religion. It's politics and sex and marriage and family and relationships and work and all those things. But there's no no octave for Pentecost. That blows me away. It's just like, a, and, and, you know, and, and leading up, you know, to Pentecost uh, were those novena days. And so you, you so you pray, so you pray um, the novena with great expectancy each day, praying for a particular gift from the Spirit. And it just doesn't seem right. But you know, perhaps maybe that's a challenge for me in a particular way. And maybe our friends who are listening to, to every day live as an agent of the Holy Spirit. Mm. You know, every day should be, quite honestly, Pentecost in our lives. If we stop and think about, like you were just talking about, Father John, not just evangelizing, but continuing the work of recreation um, of the world, which God so loved, every day we need to experience the Pentecost personally more and yep, more. Absolutely. So maybe we can offer something in this episode that could be that could help us at least for this week serve as something like our own version of a Pentecost octave, something like that. I love that. And, and maybe what we'll propose is to linger for a minute this week in our own prayer, and we'll do it right now to just kind of prime the pump uh, with what's known as the Pentecost sequence. So uh, it, those of us who at least go to the uh, Catholic Church and. I know we've got some friends listening who aren't Catholic. So a couple of times during the year, uh, right after the second reading, before the gospel proclamation, is what's known as a sequence. So this is done on, uh, it's done at Easter, it's done on Corpus Christi, and there's one done on Pentecost, which is always kind of an awkward moment in the Mass <laughs> because we're so programmed to just do what, we always do. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. music starts to play right after the second reading and everybody assumes it's the Alleluia. So right. they stand and then like usually the cantors mm -hmm. sing something mm -hmm. alone mm -hmm. and everybody's looking around going, uh, what are we doing? And they have to sit back down. And it's, it's almost and, an odd moment. It's like, oh no, it's like, mm -hmm. how long is this going to go on? And I don't think anybody's paying attention. You know, Father John, I have to laugh as I hear you talking about this because for those of us sitting in the pews, we're thinking, oh my gosh, what is this? Like, 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 like we, we don't pay attention to it to your point, but the point is you're, you're looking at your message and you're going, oh, what is this? Oh, th how long is this going to take? Like, is mass going to be extended? I thought I was just going to come in, get out, do my thing. Because there's right? a law that says it has to be an hour and this, this is going to push it over an hour and that's just going to ruin my whole Sunday. But it's such a beautiful, beautiful prayer. Oh, it's an amazing yeah. prayer, which again, the reason behind this episode is I don't think most people ever go back to, at least most of us don't, and it should be lingered with this mm. week. And I know there's, mm. so I'm, we're going to end this episode by by reading what, what I find to be the, the most powerful translation of the sequence. So hold on to that, if you will. But there, we want to linger with one line in particular. And the, the line is, come father of the poor. Mm. Which is one of the titles of the Holy Spirit. Father of the poor. I don't know about you. I don't want to be poor. I know Jesus says, blessed are the poor. There's something in me that just, like, I don't want to be poor. First of all, I'm not poor financially. I don't make any money. I'm a priest. 
but I'm still, I still have to be in like the 98th percentile of the mm-hmm. world and I don't make any money, right? In comparison to all the world and what they make, but we don't want to be poor. We, 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 we want, we want to be independent, don't we? At least most of us. Yeah. We want to be independent, not dependent. And, and I think obviously, you know, where we're going with this, I think is we're talking about like an interior poverty. Yeah, that's right. Like, like, like the interior disposition of our heart, because to the degree that we don't acknowledge our weakness, our need, our interior poverty, we have no need of the Holy Spirit. We have no need of God. We have no need of, you know, to be comforted. We have no need for the father of the poor. And, and, and the best place to be, obviously, is to recognize, and all we have to do is do a, a, a nightly examine, or when we go to the Sacrament of Reconciliation to recognize, right, we have this interior poverty. That's right. right? And, and so let's just backtrack real quick. So when Jesus says in the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor, uh, that can't mean simply blessed are the people who don't have any money. Right. Because then that would mean, like, by some unfortunate mishap, those who are financially not well off are blessed. It, it, you know, Luke makes it a little clearer. Blessed are the poor in spirit. <clears throat> Actually, I think that's Matthew. Sorry, I turned that around. But uh, so it's not poverty per se. It's poverty of spirit. And, right. and I think one of the things that the Holy Spirit helps us to recognize is, well, that's all of us. Like that, that's the reality Absolutely. As much as I might strive to be independent or desire to be independent, mm-hmm. the whole essence of being a creature, which is what we are, I'm entirely it dependent. Isn't, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm absolutely mm-hmm. dependent. I'm dependent and, on food. I'm dependent on oxygen. I'm dependent on friends. I'm dependent on God. I'm dependent. That's right. I'm, I'm anything but independent. Hell is not other people. Hell is loneliness. That's what hell Mm -hmm. is, right? Mm -hmm. And I I think too, Father John, coupled with that, that desire to be um, independent on a human level is this desire to be in control. Oh yeah. And that's an illusion as well, right? That's right. Right? Because God has to be in control of our lives. That's right. Right? So, you know, we, we've talked uh, on a number of occasions in other contexts, and we, we share oftentimes when we're out teaching folks these ways that the Lord has taught us to pray. Um, we share with them uh, an author. He's passed away now. His, his name is Father Wilfred Stinnison. He was a, a Carmelite. He's from Belgium. Some people might recognize his name from the book Into Your Hands, Father, which is a great little meditation. But there's another one that we, I think, you and I, between the two of us, have every page It's pretty marked up. <laughs> and it's simply titled The Holy Spirit Fire of Divine Love. And he's got three pages in here on this little expression, you know, the father mm-hmm. of the poor, which are just sheer literary gold for me. I don't know about you, but I found this to be a, I've been rereading this book for my own um, edification and just part of my prayer as we get closer to Pentecost and then now even after Pentecost, this is spectacular commentary. And maybe just, maybe we can pull out a couple of things sure. that Senison talks about because he's such a master. But I'll start. He says this. He says, if you try to take the gospel seriously, you will sooner or later come to a point where you stand face to face with your own poverty. You discover there's more darkness in you than you realized. 
more evil than you imagined. You feel incapable of living up to God's or to the gospel's high demands. You experience that you cannot produce any willpower and that your resources are not enough. And then he goes on to say, in this feeling of desperation that arises, and which is a fruit of the Holy Spirit's work in you, it is the same Spirit who comforts you. So now, let's just stop there real quick, because sometimes when we become aware of our poverty, we recognize there's more darkness in us, more evil in us than we imagined or than we realized, the enemy is pouncing on that, right? Or he wants to pounce on that. He wants to condemn. That's right. It's his, it's his tactic to turn that around. Right. Make you feel right. bad about yourself. Absolutely. That's not what the spirit does. The spirit doesn't make you feel bad about yourself. He the spirit com- just says, this he, is who you are. And he comforts us though in That's that right. knowledge, right? Which means to give us strength. Mm. So, so he doesn't, the spirit doesn't condemn, but he does convict, you know? It, so mm. God has this annoying way, that's how I would say it, of just kind of holding up in front of me, uh, John, this is who you are. I love you, but this is who you are. Now, you don't have to be that way. Like, if you'll let me, I can work with you. But here's the key. This is what struck me about what Stinnison says. So, so I, many of us perhaps you know, we can think of a situation, the Lord convicts us of something. He, he, you know, exposes a weakness in our lives. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a constant temptation. Maybe it's a sin that we all struggle with. Who knows what it might be? And, and we experience his conviction. And then we quickly jump to, okay, he's made me aware of this so that he will transform it and it won't be a weakness anymore. But that's not actually how it often goes. This is what Stinnison says. He does not comfort primarily by making you strong. (laughs) Many go around with the illusion that if they give their weakness to God, he will transform it into strength. But God knows man well enough to see that he cannot bear such strength immediately. He would only become more puffed up. Now, I don't know about you now, I, I think immediately of Paul. So St. Paul, got to be one of the 10 greatest people that ever lived, right? Paul talks at one point in 2 Corinthians, he talks about how God, this is verse 7 in uh, chapter 12. Paul says, to keep me from becoming conceited. Just get a load of that line. To keep me from becoming conceited, from being an arrogant son of a gun, some pompous man who is just living with an overinflated ego. I must be so special because of all the things that God has given me. He's just talked about these visions that he had. To keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, like to beat me, is, is more literal there, like to constantly buffet me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
I was just listening to a, um, a reflection from Tim Keller on this. Tim Keller was a tremendous minister. He just passed away. He had a huge impact on a lot of people, a big impact on my life. He talked about, you know, the beauty of what Paul says here is we don't know what his thorn was. And because we don't, this was Keller's insight, which I really love, we can all see ourselves in we that. We can all identify it with it, absolutely. <laughs> right? Like, it absolutely. must have been this. No, it must have been this. No, we don't know. So somehow my 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 thorn, those things that I struggle with, the things that you struggle with, I can see myself in this passage. I, I want to hear your thoughts. I, I don't want to monopolize this because oh, this, this is no, such rich no, stuff, but I'm afraid is. I could just go on. No, it is so abundant. So, so to that point, uh, he goes on to say, he says, instead of making you strong, the spirit teaches you to accept and even love your poverty, to accept it, to embrace it, to receive it. And then I love this line from St. Therese. He mm. quotes St. Therese to her sister, Celine, uh, because, okay, so St. Therese says, the poor you are, the more Jesus will love you. Hmm. I mean, that's just mind-blowing. So he says there's an indescribable joy in being capable of doing anything oneself and instead being completely dependent upon God. And I wrote in the margins, like, this is the, this is the greatest place, the only place is that we should desire to be. Back to our earlier point as we were breaking open the conversation, recognizing our utter and total dependency on God. And I think the more we grow uh, as mature disciples, um, for I think for all of us, you just find yourself on your knees more yeah. as a beggar right. before the Lord. Because now, you know, at this point in my life and and. I know who I am. I know who I'm not. I know what I struggle with day in and day out. That which I take to the sacrament, it's at the sacrament of confession. I'm so aware of my need. Mm. And you, you have this great line. You quote this line often from a priest friend of yours from a set of years ago uh, where he says, uh, I can't. Mm. You can. So please do. Right. And I, I mean, this should be on. This should be on our mirrors in our, in our bedrooms, the bathrooms. The poorer you are, the more Jesus will love you. Who doesn't want more of Jesus's love? Yeah, and yet there's it, so it, we do, and yet the, the the challenge is, oh, but I don't want it that way. That's right. Because That's right. because we again, I think we want to be rich in all the ways that we understand richness. Mm-hmm. And part of it is, I think, he goes on to say this, which I love. This is so convicting. If you wish to know, if you understand anything of the gospel message, you have only to see how you react when you discover your wretchedness. Does it make you feel happy and encouraged? Or you to be, or do you become sad and discouraged? And I don't know about you, I read that and I'm like, oh gosh, then I am like in kindergarten. I am so far With away. regards to the spiritual life. I, I'm thinking of a, a bishop friend of mine who I heard say on a number of occasions, what was so painful for him when he would go to confession, he'd said this very publicly, mm-hmm. was he realized when he was in confession, many times his anguish was not over the fact that he had failed to love the Lord, his anguish, the deeper anguish was, I had just like caved. Mm -hmm. 
I, I just wasn't the man I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And, and gosh, do I identify with that? I do too, Father John. I want to tell you a story, but I also, uh, and I also want to say this. I mean, there's, there's that imperfect contrition mm-hmm. and then that perfect contrition. And so many of us, to your point, like I know I am so far removed from that. As I'm hearing you talk, I'm thinking about, this is probably 25 years ago, um, and I had gone to confession. I, ha- I was experiencing this sadness mm. and this discouragement that here I am again in the sacrament. And at that point, it wasn't like it was a door that was closed. It was like this heavy, burgundy, you know, um, velvet, you know, what do you call it? You know, when you pull the curtain to the confessional and, and, and my confessor was like 85 years old and deaf. And so I had gone into the confessional. Not, not a good thing not for a, a confessor. When people are outside, you know, waiting to go into the confessional. And I remember I said to the confessor, I said, Father, I can't believe I'm here again with the same sins. Mm-hmm. And I am so discouraged. And he said, young lady, as long as you're here talking to me, why don't you add pride to your list? (laughs) And I'm sure everybody's outside of the pews going, oh my gosh, he just said, add pride to your list. But he was spot on. And that was a, that was a teachable moment for me. Was I more like to to your point, I was more upset with me than I, than than that I had wounded the heart of Jesus. Yeah. And so Sinison goes on to, to talk just to that, because I think that's so true for all of us. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I, I don't know anybody who doesn't battle this. He says, the devil is a master at making us humble in the wrong way. He makes us sad about our failings by harshly pointing out the difference between the ideal and the reality. This false humility, which is nothing other than wounded pride, Mm. makes us lose courage and give up. And and it reminded me of, there's a passage in that book, Spiritual Combat, which I I read over um, Lent, Lent, this kind of 16th century treatise. And he, he says something very similar, and his advice to people in this is, the, the, the fastest way to like r- respond to sin is just to say, Lord, th- this is what I've done. Here I am. I just give it to you. I, I trust in your mercy. You know, obviously get to confession if it's, you know, something you need to get to confession for and just like get back up because hell hates that because hell is constantly trying to get us to wallow in I'm such a wretch you know, I'm no good, I'm useless. And this might seem like it's contrary to what we said earlier, that the Spirit shows us our need, but the difference is condemnation versus conviction. And there's something about a saint who is at one and the same time able to acknowledge who he is or who she is and their utter dependence and their weakness and rejoice in it like Paul does. Yeah, amen. You know, Father John, I don't know if it's... uh Peter Craved, who said this, um, and I just read this a couple days ago, um, that the enemy hates confession. He hates the sacrament of reconciliation, second only to the Eucharist. Mm. And I thought, well, that's good to know. Of course that makes sense. That should cause us to run to the sacrament as often as needed because anything I can do to cast angst on the enemy all day, every day, that's what we'll do. And I can't talk much about confession, obviously, as a confessor, but mm-hmm. here's what I can tell. Um, everybody, I know this because I'm a confessee as well as a confessor. So when I'm going to confession and I go to the same two people 
all the mm-hmm. time. You know, like I have a confessor and I have a spiritual director and they know pretty much everything about me. And I always walk in with a feeling like of, oh no, like what are they going to think about me now? Because I'm, because we, we get so fixated on our sin, usually out of wounded pride. Mm-hmm. Like how am I going to look, right? But as a confessor, I can tell you, you don't remember anything. Like, I, I forget who said this. It's something like, we don't even sin greatly. You know, like, nobody's sin just stands out. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you did what you did. In reality, like, all our sins just blend. Kind of blend together. You know, we're, we're, I'm, I'm kind so of an ordinary sinner. That's so good <laughs> to hear, right? And, yeah, and it, and it really is true. And God gives every priest I, that I know of, like the gift of amnesia. Like, you just you you really don't remember mm-hmm. anything, and you don't want to remember anything, right? right? I mean, you so just, just want to take that to the foot of the cross, right? Yeah. After so, yeah, just run to the sacrament when when we feel convicted, not condemned. And then, you know, you, you mentioned Therese earlier. This is why Therese is a doctor of the church. Therese is teaching us about how to be a spiritual child, not to be childish, but to be childlike. Mm -hmm. And to be childlike is to recognize, I need the Father for everything. Everything, yeah. I keep, there's a a priest that we heard share a line year ago now that I I think about all the time. He, He got put into a new assignment. I think we've mentioned this once before, but it's coming into my mind again. And he was praying, he just, he's like, he's feeling a bit overwhelmed. Like, I don't know that I've got the stuff for this. And, and this is so true for all of us in our life. You know, like you get a promotion at job or, you know, you enter into marriage and you're like, oh no, like the, the, the veil is going to be pulled back. You're going to see me as I really am. And so he was praying to the Lord one day. He just said, Lord, just help me to be competent here. Mm-hmm. Like, don't, don't let me, mm-hmm. don't let me like screw this up. And the Lord said to him, you don't need me to be competent. You need me to breathe. And he just, he started to laugh. And, and ever since and I heard him say that. And I think we all looked at him and went, oh my gosh, like that's so <laughs> spot on, yeah, right? Like, I am utterly dependent, dependent on God. Like if he doesn't give me breath right now, I'm gone. That's exactly right. Like that's the level it's of the his, dependency. That's right. It's his breath in our lungs, and, right? And I can so either balk at that, right. fight that, or I can embrace it. And Therese is teaching us to embrace it. And Paul's teaching us to embrace even those thorns in our flesh. And then to teach us to be able to say, um, Lord, I trust you that your power is made perfect in, in my weakness. weakness. And goodness gracious, do I have a plethora of weaknesses. So there must Amen. be a, an do. abundance of power. Amen, we uh, all at, do. At least at our disposal, huh? Mary, would you mind maybe as a way to close, just lead us in this. It's, it's a translation that mm-hmm. I love the most. Uh, other people might know a translation from, you know, the Roman Missal, which is also in a Magnificat. But this is the one that I, I learned when I was in college. And I, I sing this all the time. Mm-hmm. It's just a oh, really beautiful. powerful translation. And maybe this can be something that we can, we can enter into right now, but it can also be something that we, we just go back to in this made up, Pentecost octave that we've created for the universal church <laughs> and don't report us to Pope Francis. Uh, and, and whatever those places are where the spirit is speaking to us just to go back and, and to linger with, 
not only in the week ahead, but also sure. maybe for the rest of our lives. So would you sure. mind just reading this? Sure, I'd love to. And, and, and maybe just it, where, wherever you are, um, it, it, except if you're in a car driving right now, just, do just, just wherever you are, just we just invite you right now just to close your eyes and ask the Holy Spirit to come because whenever we ask him to come, he comes. Just to anoint your mind with his presence and to till the soil of your heart in such a way that you can receive this beautiful prayer. So come, Holy Spirit, and from heaven direct on man the rays of your light. Come, Father of the poor, come, giver of God's gifts. Come, light of men's hearts. Kindly, paraclete, in your graciousness, visit a man's soul, you bring relief and consolation. If it is weary with toil, you bring it ease. In the heat of temptation, your grace cools it. If sorrowful, your word consoles it. Light most blessed shine on the hearts of your faithful, even into their darkest corners. For without your aid, man can do nothing good and everything is sinful. Wash clean the sinful soul. Pour your grace on the parched soul and heal the injured soul. Soften the hard heart. Cherish and warm the ice cold heart and give direction to the wayward. Give your seven holy gifts to your faithful for their trust is in you. Give them reward for their virtuous acts Give them a death that ensures salvation and give them unending bliss. Amen. Alleluia. Amen. Alleluia. Thank you for that. So beautiful. Again, we, we just want to encourage us to, to grab hold of this. Do, do the, everything we can in this week, but not just this week, to continue to call upon the Holy Spirit, to give us individually a new Pentecost and to give to the church a new Pentecost, we are oftentimes just like the disciples shut up in our rooms with locked doors, fearful of going out to evangelize and to recreate this world, which the Lord so loves. And the only way we get catapulted out, which is the way I think of Pentecost, is by the Spirit descending upon us. So let's pray for each other. And because we know that God wants to do this more than we want it, do not be afraid. God is with you, and you were born for this. 